Welcome to Created for Connection. In today's episode, we interview Lee Tran, an experienced counselor, pastor, and leader. Lee shares his story of connecting with God and others through the hardships of his life. We're going to talk about what it looks like to pursue health as a leader and what it looks like to stay connected in the middle of hard times. To everyone listening, we're glad you're here. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Created for Connection. I'm your host, Kevin Shelby, and I'm here with my co-host, Paul. How you doing, Paul? Hey, Kevin, I'm doing great. I'm I'm just so happy because I know we talk about this just about every intro, but it is cooler outside, even in Dallas, Texas. And I got up early this morning to go for a jog, and my youngest son, Caleb, was up, and I was like, hey, bud, you wanna go for a jog with dad? still dark outside and and he's like yeah and he's, he's wearing his crocs so i'm like you sure you want to wear your crocs and he's like yeah dad i'm still faster than you even in my crocs so got out and ran it was like 58 59 degrees and love it man you are a better person than i am i today is my daughter's birthday and i still just kind of had to roll out of bed at the last minute because we were up late last night, but, and then it was, it turned into a morning. I didn't get, I didn't have the enjoy the, the weather type of morning that you It sounds like you got. So mm, I'm sorry, man. Uh, happy birthday to your daughter. Yeah. 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 I'm sure she's going to listen to this episode and, and we'll want to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah. She's 14 today, but oh, um, wow. yeah. Yeah. So, the, so the, 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 craziest thing that happened this morning is my wife was dealing with my youngest son because he was throwing a little bit of a fit and while she was away dealing with him our dog grabbed my daughter's donut cake for her birthday donut cake off the counter and ate the entire thing <laughs> oh no that's terrible i know <laughs> <laughs> Melissa said there was just one crumb left. Melissa, my wife. So uh, did you give did you give the crumb to your daughter and say happy birthday? <laughs> <laughs> she had thankfully already gotten a piece of cake, but it it was not without um, you know a lot of sadness because that was like a thirty dollar donut cake. I mean, it was specially made. How big was that donut? I mean, was it a a singular donut it was a donut cake oh it's a big old donut cake listener you can't see kevin's hand but i mean this is like a foot and a half yeah yeah like i i could have worn it like a sombrero to give you know the size of how big this thing was if that would have changed your whole morning if you would have done that <laughs> for the better probably so. oh probably so but now, you know, Melissa's like, I want to get rid of this dog and, you know, or get it trained. And, you know, it was just one of the, I mean, I, really walking into the recording time, I was like, man, you know, I got to switch gears, but this has not turned out to be the morning I expected it to be, but man. And I mean, poor dog, you know, you eat one foot and a half size donut cake and you're going <laughs> to get put down. <laughs> She ate a pan full of uh, of a chocolate pie that was made with dark chocolate, which is more dangerous to dogs than milk chocolate. Mm. And she like she was very sick from it. I'm sure and we thought we were going to lose her. That was like a, a couple of months ago. Um, I mean, this dog would eat anything. If you leave anything on the counter, she'll eat it. So, man. Well, I'm sorry. It's been a tough morning. Um, yeah. It is morning, listeners, where we're at. I have somebody here that might be able to help kind of turn your day around. He, he just is great with working with people, and that's our guest this morning. So I want to bring in and welcome Lee Tran. Lee, good morning. Good morning, guys. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. And we're so excited to have you, Lee. We were introduced uh, maybe close to a year ago and just started talking. Uh, you are a counselor in your own right. You have a 
Doctor of Marriage and Family Ministry from DTS. And you've worked in the Dallas area for a while, but now recently you've just moved to Washington, D.C., right? That's correct. Yeah, about four months ago, just moved out to D.C. And it, it, is, uh, it is chilly out here. Yeah, so you're just talking about Dallas weather. It's quite yeah. cold. It's been cold for about a good month now. So, Awesome. Well, you know, I've, uh, I've talked to my wife when it's really hot. I'm like, where, could we, <laughs> where are we going to move? When are we going to move? But we haven't pulled the trigger yet. Um, and I'm, and I'm thankful that Lee is with us because he's a counselor and given how the morning's gone, I need, you know, I need some therapy, Lee. So, man, you were telling your story. And I was like, man, that sounds kind of like my, my day over here too. My, uh, my, my youngest, my three-year-old, um, actually my, my oldest daughter's birthday was yesterday and we, we took her out, um, for dinner and we, she loves sushi. And so we took her to the sushi place and, uh, I don't know if it was, uh, it went down well for my, my youngest one. And so it was a long night last night, um, full of, uh, lots of, um, yeah, lots of cleanup. So, <laughs> so it's, it's been oh, a rough morning for me as well. So we, we can just to support one another in our, uh, in, in our post birthday blues here. Yeah, that, well, okay. I'm glad to know I've got a brother in arms here fighting the blues. There so there you go, man. But, uh, so this is my first time to meet you and I am, I'm really excited to hear your story and hear some of your insights. And, and just because, you know, we like for people to know who someone is and, and what they do beyond being a counselor and, um, you know, being licensed as an LPC, you also are a podcaster as well that, um, and, and have a ministry connected to that too. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, we have a, a podcast that we, we did a lot more pre-pandemic and a little bit into the pandemic called Watershed Moments. Um, and we all do similar things where we just talk about um, uh, a lot of the intersect between faith and uh, the world of therapy and counseling. So, yeah. People could check out uh, Watershed Moments podcast if they wanted a little more insight. And then um, then you have watershed ministry as well. Yeah, that would be more um, around offering mental health resources to local churches. Um, we we have a you would say a standard practice where we really just do um, just more community work, but uh, we really try to focus on providing services to local churches that don't have turnkey options for therapy. And so um, we'll we'll support staff, um, church leaders, um, as well as provide some discounted therapy as well for for um, church members who can't afford it. Man, that is so great and so needed. You know, that's something that Paul and I, that's one of the reasons we we started this podcast in the first place, because we are really passionate about helping churches understand the mental health needs of their staff, you know, and the pastors and understand how to put protective measures in place to make sure that, you know, you don't continue to see from one church to the other, the celebrity pastor fall from, you know, the pedestal. and. Um, and, and find ways to really support people uh, so that they never get to that point. And, and then if it does happen, how do you help a church walk through that and navigate it? So that's something that we're really passionate about. And, uh, and I love that you're doing that. That's, that's really great. Yeah, no, I, I love that too. It, it, it's heartbreaking when you hear story after story like that, and you can't help but think as a therapist um, that, man, if, if we could just, be involved in some of those discussions to be a support in some way before that so many of those things um, could be avoided. And, and um, you know, I'm sure there's, there's a, there's a lot of mental health dynamics that go behind that as well, but yeah, that's my heart passion as well. I think if anything, we can support the local church in that way. And I'm a big believer in the local church too. So that's I, awesome. I want to ask you, yeah, I want to ask you kind of more kind of church system related questions um, as we have this conversation, Lee, but I, I really want people to get to know you a little bit and your story. And so, um, can you tell us just a little bit, I mean, start as early as you want. What was, what was growing up like for you? What, what was faith like sure. in your family connection? Uh, tell us some about that. Yeah. Well, I didn't grow up a believer. Um, I was, uh, raised in a, you could say a Buddhist home, a traditional Vietnamese family that came during the, um, the, the Vietnam War. Uh, my family were, were refugees coming in 75. And you know, all throughout my childhood, very um, 
very I, almost agnostic home if you if you'll put it that way um i had very little exposure to the church um it was actually my first year in, in college when i was first exposed to a christian fellowship and at that point uh began to explore a little bit more and i would say probably the biggest impact for me and i'm gonna plug intervarsity christian fellowship because it was it was a difference maker but my staff worker for intervarsity um really took me under his wing and, and mentored me and discipled me um, all four years of college. And uh, I still consider him my spiritual father. It's one of the reasons why I went into ministry. Uh, one of the reasons why I would even say at the heart of my counseling ministry really is discipleship because I had long felt that when someone had made an investment in me, um, it paid dividends to where it, it I could pay it forward and make a difference in other people's lives. And so even counseling for me when I do therapy, uh, I really think of it that way. And so that was my journey at, uh, as, as I became a believer uh, out of college, uh, spent a few years working to pay off student loans and uh, always had ministry on my mind. And so after a couple of years, went back to seminary to explore ministry and, and thought long and hard about whether or not I wanted to do the traditional pastoral route or go into counseling. And at that time just felt like it was um, better for me to do uh, the therapy option. So that's kind of my my story and uh, how I got to where I am right now. Can we go back for a second to your college years? And I, I two questions came to mind. One was, what was your family's response to Collegiate Lee and his faith journey at that point? What was that like? Yeah, that was a lot of conflict. There was I would say a pretty large fissure right around junior year when I had disclosed to my parents, one, that I had become a Christian um, after my freshman year, but by my junior year was really contemplating uh, going into ministry. And, and mind you, what we had just dropped $100,000 on a computer science degree at that time. And so I'm thinking about it now as I, <clears throat> excuse me, as I'm thinking about sending kids to college, I'm like, okay, I get it. Why? That would be a bit of a, a tough move for any parent to swallow. But uh, yeah, they weren't believers. So that was hard for them. It was hard. And we had to have a lot of, a lot of conversations. Um, but uh, yeah, that's part of my, my family history, part of my story. And, and then my other thought is, what is it like? I mean, what, what happened in your case where you're a college student walking around campus? I'm just picturing you kind of going from class to class. How do you, how do you even connect with InterVarsity people on campus? How did you meet your, your future mentor? Well, um, like many freshmen just looking for community. Um, and I found a group that uh, really just consistently was, you know, looking back, you could just say it was a God thing. But every, every guy and person I talked to, I got to know, hey, you're gonna go to this fellowship, you're gonna go to this fellowship. I'm like, what is this fellowship thing you guys are talking about? It sounds kind of cultish. But all right, what and like, literally, by the fifth time, I was like, okay, cool, I'll go check it out. My roommate went. And so um, that's how I just got started just building friendships, really, wanting to make connections and mostly adverse, honestly, for the whole year, very skeptical of the whole Christian thing. Um, and really tried to be the outsider, trying to make friends with people. Uh, but by the end of the first year, really, um, people making such investments in me and caring for me and walking alongside me, answering all the tough questions, things like that. And, and uh, that's really kind of what, what uh, broke down the walls after a while. So Lee, you know, I personally grew up a Christian and, you know, so, so my, my story was less of a like night and day kind of experience is more of like a, you know, sliding in from, you know, like sure. dusk, right. You know, more just, there's no, there wasn't like a clear distinction, but so I'm always really curious to hear people's stories when they, when they don't grow up in a faith background. Um, you must have encountered God in some way that um, that was profound for you, whether through other people or um, even just like a, a, you know, a moment where you encountered him. Can you can you talk about that, where some of those turning points were for you going from, you know, uh, growing up, not knowing the Lord to now you're walking with him? That is a great question, Kevin. I have actually not thought of it in a while, but but since you asked, um, my come to Jesus story wasn't a aha moment. Um, 
when I refer to people having lots of conversations with me, I was the annoying guy that debated everything. It came to a point where I was at a retreat and my, my cabin leader at the time, <laughs> probably maybe my fifth conversation with them debating it, just simply said, at some point, you just have to make a decision. At some point, you just have to decide you're going to believe. Because I was waiting for this miraculous moment where God would speak to me in some way. I prayed for that. But that made the most sense to me. That made the, the most sense, most clear sense of at some point you just have to decide. And I, and, and I wasn't married at the time, but he, he referenced it. Like, like when you get married, at some point you decide that you're going to commit. And at that point is when the relationship begins. And I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense. Um, and I've, I felt that to be true ever since. And, and I will say, and I, I thank you for asking me the question because I haven't thought of it in a long time, but I think that has served me well um, today as a much more mature believer that there are times when God does not speak with a clear voice and you have to simply decide to choose to exercise faith. Um, and I'm thankful that's been part of my foundation. So that's, that's my story. I don't have a, 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 a great, uh, you know, come to Jesus moment. It was really just through fellowship and, and prayer and then making a decision and then God showing up in ways that I didn't think he would. Uh, I appreciate you saying that, Liam, because I appreciate that part of your story. Not, I mean, it's not just like a point you're trying to make, like, this is what I think should happen. It's just like, that's what happened. Just to realize that that's, that is true to life sometimes, no matter the, the most interesting person's bi, uh, you know, biography. Uh, I'm thinking of George Mueller or somebody like that, where... God shows up in just dramatic sorts of ways in their life. There, there are moments, there are these moments where you do not see, you do not hear, you don't know what's going to come next. And there's not any signs in the sky. There is not any clarity about what to do. And it's just like, am I going to, am I going to stay? Am I going to remain in this? Or am I, am I going to take this step without knowing the outcome? And that's, that's so true to life. And I, I just appreciate, I appreciate you saying, Hey, this is, this is, th this was my conversion story rather than some kind of crazy dramatic moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think that a lot of people who listen to this podcast are going to identify more with that type of experience because it's pretty rare for, you know, us to have the lightning bolt kind of moment and God, you know, rends the heavens and pe peeks his head through and says, Lee, you must follow me. I mean, that's not typically how it goes. And certainly that's not what our faith journey often looks like. So I think that what I, what I really appreciate about that is it's real. It's, it's the real part of the story and that God uses what we need in order to make those decisions towards him. You know, and that's why I said whether he spoke through other people or, you know, you had a, a moment with him because um, often it does come from other people. So I, that that's great to to hear, you know, how he used others in your life. And I think it fits with kind of part of what we want to highlight in the podcast is that connection with others that influences our connection with him, just like our connection with him influences our connection with others. And I, I don't see that as separate from from that so anyways thank you for sharing that and i'm i'm curious then after you make this decision what changes for you what what does what does your day-to-day -day life look like how does it become different well i recall when i um said the prayer if you will um i had asked god whatever it is that must be broken within me for me to know you more break within me which is the stupidest prayer i think anyone could ever pray but you don't understand what kind of power you're dealing with <laughs> yeah. um and i meant it at the time i because i in my heart i really wanted to to be transformed and to grow but that started a process i would say about a good three or four year process of me going through one of the darkest periods of my life um i had to really be torn like tooth and nail from everything that I held onto every idol in my life. 
that I didn't see as idols. Um, and no one from the outside looking in would have been able to tell. Um, but that was the journey of a lot of breaking down and many, many other young men in my life and my mentor in college just being very patient with me as um, I was torn to pieces in many ways going through very difficult times. But that was the tearing down, the breaking up, uh, building up, if you will. Um, that got me to a place where by the time I, I graduated and after my senior year was in a place where, okay, like, I feel like um, I'm ready to walk again and to make moves and to, 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 to think about what it means to serve. Um, but that was the next phase of my life and, and, and it was transformative. Um, so yeah. can I just ask a question? You used the word dark. It was the darkest time of my life. What, when you reflect back on that, what was that darkness? You know, was it heaviness? Was it like, yeah, like the sadness or what, what constituted the darkness back then? Yeah. I wouldn't have been, been able to tell you then, but having, you know, years now and doing therapy, um, shame works in very strange ways and in, in very covert ways. And I would say, looking back, if I were to talk to that young man, I would say that, that, that young man was, was wrestling through um, his own manifestations of shame and inadequacy and loneliness and rejection, uh, masking them in, the, uh, in, in whatever way he knew, but ultimately at the core of it was dealing with that. Mm. So, yeah, it was, I, I look back on it now and, and would say that, that that probably influenced me going into counseling the most is because I understood and had to wrestle through my own Dark, period, dark, dark time and dark period of, of, of shame and, and worthlessness. Which is really interesting too, because when you, when you hear the Christian story, you know, most of the time it's like, you know, I didn't know the Lord and then I came to know the Lord. And then I had this period of just, you know, bliss. Right. And that's not everybody's experience, you know, but that's, that's the story where you, that's the storyline we're usually given because that's the one we like the most, you know? And to be honest, to be um, fair, if you were to see me in those four years, that's what it would look like. Like this guy's on fire and he's like leading now and he's doing all these things in ministry and he's the prototypical super college Christian leader guy. But beneath all that stuff is a lot of that war, a lot of that internal strife. Um, and, yeah. and that's what goes back to what we we're saying before, which is in, in leadership, it's easy to put on the facade. It's easy. It's easier, frankly. And um, it feels it gives you all the trimmings of growth without any of the real substance. Um, and so that's what the Lord was doing in me during those periods of time. Man, that was a great statement. Can you say that again? It gives all the all the trimmings the trim of growth. It makes it feel like you're growing. It makes it feel like you're doing impact. You're doing wonderful things. And you are by all rights, by outside perspectives, but it lacks a substance. Um, because if you're not dealing with that stuff inside, I mean, you're, you're, you're on borrowed time. Huh. Meaning it's going to come to a head eventually. Eventually. Yeah. And it did for me. Uh, I mean, things, I mean, everything had to come to a stop after, you know, in my, my junior and senior year and into my first year after, out of college, I had to reform everything um, and, and just step away from a lot of those things to really get a, a handle on what makes me who I am and why, why should I believe that I am found worthy in Christ? Mm. Man, I love that you are being transparent about that because I think that that probably is more indicative of people's journey than what we are able to talk about, you know, and, you know, we talk about people who are, who are at the top, you know, they're at the top of the ministry game. They've, they've, they've risen through the ranks to success and time after time, it, it becomes apparent that there is hidden shame and, and cycles of shame that are riding under the surface and are getting masked. And I'm not saying that that's true for everybody. I certainly wouldn't make that statement, but unless it's dealt with, unless we find a place where we can be vulnerable about it and, and process it and work through it, it isn't going to change on its own. It's not going to just stop without intentionality. So um, I'm thankful that you are able to share that as part of your story. So I'm, I'm curious in the next part of things, you, you 
take a step back from being in leadership roles in ministry and you're starting to deal with the darkness and and figure out who you are in Christ and um and how he sees you what what happens then after you graduate from college and you you start moving into the next phase of your life well yeah so i i i got a full-time job in consulting i did a computer science business something completely unrelated to ministry and counseling um but i did that for a few years learned um you know how to be an adult um you know do the financial thing um but all the time really feeling this pull to kingdom work and at the time that looked like okay well if i'm going to do that i I maybe need to get some training and the the next traditional step would be to go into seminary for me and so um took the step to leave my uh, my full-time job um and uh i think i'd mentioned trying to make a decision between the traditional pastoral route versus the counselor route and uh, something about the idea of sitting with people um and really being able to dive deep, really deeply into what's going on in a person's life. Because that, as, we, as we're just talking about, in the traditional quote-unquote ministry sense where you're more in a, in a public position, a lot of it is function, a lot of it is program, a lot, a lot of it is, is what you're presenting. Um, but if you sit down with someone across a table, you have an opportunity to really talk you're able to get much deeper into what's going on. And that's the part where I really feel pulled to. I was like, I want to get in there. I want to talk about that stuff. Um, and honestly, as if I ever were to become a pastor, traditionally preaching and so forth, that I felt that I needed to have a better understanding of the human condition in order to be able to understand what to talk about and to be able to, to articulate truth. So really was really interested in knowing what made people do what they do. Because I you know that was my journey. I tried to figure out why I was doing what I was doing. And so that was the next journey into seminary, just really spending time with people and digging into why we are the way we are. So Lee, you, you went to seminary, you get, got the counseling degree. And then, so did you start off after that, just, just in counseling for a time or did you get connect? Did you work as a, at a church as a counselor? What yeah, no. Like? So I, I kept those worlds fairly separate. I was mm. leaving at my church in ministry t- context and I was in a private practice. And I did that for about maybe five or six years um, and learned everything I felt like I needed to learn in my, my, my intern associates period, like which is the, the, the provisional time as a, as a therapist, um, all the clinical stuff and then learn ministry stuff on the side as well. Um, after about six or seven years, I did go on staff full-time at my church um, in, uh, in, in Plano with Chase Oaks Church. And I came on staff there as the pastoral care pastor and oversaw not just counseling there, but also recovery groups um, and prayer ministry and benevolence, that sort of thing. And, and that got me more into the world of just the, uh, the, 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 the ministry aspect of, of what, what I do. And, and so that was about another six or seven years being full-time on staff there. So that's my next big chapter. So I, w- I want to connect the dots between your journey of shame and kind of coming to grips with who you are and your identity in Christ. And, and then you're in this place where you're working both as a therapist, then also part-time with the church. And, you know, one of the, my assumptions was, um, you know, I was in ministry, the ministry world for, um, you know, several, I mean, multiple years. And I was thinking, okay, wow, uh, pastors and ministers, we put this pressure on us to, you know, to help other people and perform. And then we have this pressure to kind of hide the, the difficulties that we're wrestling with. And my perception was that counselors had probably dealt with all their stuff and that they didn't have those same pressures and issues. And so um, my, my perception now has changed a little bit. And it's like people that spend their time pouring into others, whatever that role is, I feel like there's a tendency to sometimes neglect the self or neglect those parts of us that could use some work. So you're working in both worlds. You're in church and you're in counseling. How do you see that dynamic? Do you feel like was there was there pressure um, to you know pour into others but uh, stop 
connecting with yourself or, or, or spending yeah, time a, working on that? That's a great question. I remember when I first made this shift, um, my, my, maybe first month, I'm sitting in my office at church. And I remember feeling really awkward. It was just kind of strange considering like, I, I, it's not like I'm unfamiliar with ministry work, but I remember I'm sitting down talking with people and mind you, I'm, I'm used to the clinical setting where like, Hey, we're here for an hour and you're yeah, I've got an intake form and I don't see you outside this room. But as a pastor that those boundaries are different. Like they may reach out to you at eight o'clock at night and there may be a crisis situation where, Hey, we need you on the ground right now. Um, and I remember feeling, feeling very uneasy because my, my background then was as a mental health counselor and it's pretty, pretty strict guidelines that you're not interacting outside your session. Um, but I had to get acclimated to that. And so, yeah, I felt pressure to perform and to meet expectations. And a lot of that old stuff in terms of, of my worth and, and things like that really um, were being tested again. But I will say this, because I had gone through that journey before, it wasn't unfamiliar territory to me. I, I, I felt like I had to, to um, go back and, and, in a sense, nail that to the cross, if you will, and uh, come to terms with that. And I quickly, I feel like I quickly gained the reputation amongst the church staff, ironically, as the being the least caring care pastor on the staff because of my boundaries. And it's, it sounds strange to say, but I, 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 I have spoken with enough pastors to say that you have to be able to be okay disappointing people if you're going to be long for the job. If you are, if you feel like you must perform and to meet expectations and you're not comfortable with people being disappointed in you, um, you're going to burn out. And, and I had to integrate that very fast that, hey, you may want me there at nine o'clock at night, but I'm sorry, I'm, I, I'm at home and I've got my family right now and that, that can't be me. Um, and I know that that's probably not what a lot of senior pastors or executive pastors want to hear, but um, I think if you want a healthy staff, there needs to be boundaries in there. So I'll just stop and say that and let's unpack that. I'm sure you got some questions about that. Oh, that's a, that's a nugget of truth right there that I want to camp on. And I, I would say that what people don't understand the other side of that is if I give my time to you outside of, you know, our, our, specifically focused time that we're going to spend doing counseling, or if I'm a pastor and I'm responsible for teaching and preaching and things like that, if I give my time to you, then some, something suffers. When I say yes to that, I'm saying no to something else. Either I'm saying no to being able to deliver a better message, or I'm saying no to my personal life, which then causes dissonance between who I am at work and who I am at home, um, there are consequences for me letting my boundaries be crossed. And when you are pushing that, you're asking me to say no to something else in my life. That's right. And, and so I think that I think that um, people believe that the Christ-like way is to have no boundaries. You know, to to just say take it all. And, and, uh, in my experience, both per personally and, um, with other counselors, we don't have the capacity or bandwidth to allow all of our energy to go everywhere else with no concern for, um, for times of rejuvenation and rebuilding and all of that. In fact, counselors, uh, I teach this to my students, Counselors are not bankers. They're not electricians. They sit all day and listen to the heaviness of people's life, which means we need to go even further than the majority of people in the world to find that restoration internally. And we need to have stronger boundaries. Yeah, absolutely. I would tell, um, I would tell other, other um, pastors and particularly ones who are, are tasked with care of others that if, if you're going to burn your fuel to be there in the hardest places, you've got to conserve energy elsewhere. And that me, and, and this is, this is the, you know, maybe the nuts and bolts part of ministry that isn't as, as interesting to talk about, but this gets a little bit into how uh, this is maybe a different podcast topic altogether, but how, um, uh, seminaries and pastors are not traditionally trained in 
basic operations and and entrepreneurial skills to know how to build teams. So because the 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 typical thought pattern, as you just said, Kevin, is that I will be the one who gives everything. I will be the one who pours out everything. Whereas you have to really be thinking about how do I conserve my energy, build teams, build structures, build build a systems in place where like there's ways we can care for people without me being the one who's being completely poured out here. Um, that's yeah. another slight nuance to this as well. That because um, usually what I end up seeing is that instead of working on on building that with other people, working on the, the the operational aspect of your ministry, that you exhaust yourself, and by the time you realize that, you no longer have any capacity to build a, a team in a healthy way, and it, it gets out of your hands real fast. And then the other part of that, Lee, is that if you're the one that is then at the center of giving out and helping other people, you it, it also not only is it burning you out, <laughs> but it's also feeding your ego of like, yeah. I am the guy that can do this. That's no right. One else yeah. can, no one else can help people the way I can. No one else can teach this class the way I can. No one else can lead this small group the way I can uh, or, or preach on, uh, up on the stage. And so it's like a, it's both draining you, but it's also feeding yes. less healthy aspects. It's a, it's a bad dysfunctional cycle. Absolutely. And it, it, it takes awareness, self-awareness to be able to know that you're, you're, you're drinking from a poison well. We want to take a moment and thank Wellspring Process Groups for sponsoring today's episode. Wellspring is an initiative Paul launched at the beginning of 2021 that provides people with a safe place to process the experiences they're facing in life. Whether you're going through challenges or transitions, or if you need a safe group of people to share life with for a season, we invite you to join a Wellspring Process Group. I've been in one of these groups and it's been a life-changing experience for me. I encourage you to go to the show notes right now and contact Wellspring to find out when you can join a process group for yourself. Yeah, I, I thought of the scripture drinking from broken cisterns. Yeah. Yeah. So Lee, we could obviously camp here all day and we may circle back to this, but um, just to kind of finish your story, because, you know, I think that there is, um, you know, a, a time where you're, you meet your wife and, you know, you guys get married and um, you mentioned having some children. So can you just talk about as you were going through ministry and you're starting to build a family, what, what did that look like for you? Yeah, so by the time I was on staff at Chase Oaks Church, uh, been married for gosh about maybe eight years. We had, um, you know, two children at the time. Yeah, um, and uh, began thinking about making a move to um, spin off. We had built an in-house counseling option for Chase Oaks, so it was me and uh, about maybe three or four. Um, associates interns um, at the time and we were were servicing the, the the mental health needs of the church and we started thinking hey let's start maybe expanding that to service and, and help other churches that might need a similar system um, and so really putting some thought and effort into that I just got done telling you about in college that was probably the one of the darkest times of my life when when I, I would say that I had to work through um, the struggle of shame and identity and self-worth. Um, the next chapter uh, of my life, right around 2015, 2016, uh, is when um, that just kind of hit me in the face. Um, and we had our third child, Aaron, and around four months old, we lost him. And that happened right at the very beginning of when we began our, our, our group practice um, that I'm, I'm, I oversee now. And that really forced me into a situation where I had to really think long and hard about what I wanted to do. Because let me tell you, um, after we lost Aaron, I didn't want to do anything. Um, I, I, when you lose a child and you have a lot of win your sales before then, all that goes away and you question everything. And I did. I, I, I went back and, and we were talking earlier about how my come to Jesus moment 
wasn't like booming voice from the sky. And that, and I, the reason why I appreciate you asking the question, Kevin, is that I go back and I think, okay, that was my biggest struggle when I lost my son was that I was waiting for God to speak to me in some profound way in my grief. I remember praying on my knees and weeping, begging God to speak to me in some profound way to help me understand, to give me some kind of comfort. And that just never happened. And I think that was my next lesson in my dark period of time of what, what it looks like to maintain a connection and a, and a relation with God when you must suffer, not through the pain of shame and inadequacy, but through the pain of loss and the pain of loneliness and the pain of isolation. Um, my sense for a lot of other people, pastors and leaders and Christians, everyone, is that you, when you go through loss of some kind, I've, I've lived long enough to know that there are many flavors of loss. People lose in many different ways. There's all kinds of ways to feel pain and heartache. So anyone listening to this, you have your own version, your own flavor uh, of, of the journey of pain and, and grief and loss. That in those periods of time, it is so hard to feel connected to anyone because you begin to feel like your pain is unique and different and it causes you to feel so alone. And you wonder if anyone else feels what you feel. And that's just a hard place to be. And so that, that I would say that's the beginning part of my journey in 2016 into the, to the next period of life, the next number of years where I had to really wrestle with God again and question how was he present in my life? Because I didn't, he didn't show up the way I needed him to. He didn't show up the way I wanted him to, but that didn't mean that he wasn't there. Um, mm. I just had to learn, relearn a lot of things that I had learned at the very beginning of my relationship with him and learn them all again in a different way. So there's a ton there, obviously, I'm talking about like years and years of my own work. Um, and so I'm, I'm an open book, you guys can ask me any question you want about any of those things. But yeah, that's, that's the next major portion of reformation in my life. Well, man, I, I so appreciate your, your vulnerability about that. And I, I mean, it hits me just this, the words we lost our four month old, you know, and I, I, um, I, that just feels like a, you know, a punch in the gut that I just don't even know how to take it, you know, just hearing those words. And so, so can you talk just a little bit about what happened and, and, you know, what you guys had to face in the aftermath of losing him? Yeah. Um, so one of the hard things <laughs> about um, any loss is you want to, you want to understand why, like mm -hmm. all these questions come out. Um, one of the hard things is that we didn't really have a clear understanding of why we, what we now know um, SIDS is a, a very broad term or just when a child dies and we don't know why. Um, and so we didn't have answers. And in, in, in that lack of clarity, man, I tell you, that shame narrative came roaring back. I remember that first night um, we were, had gone back from the hospital. Oh, this is, there are a few key nuggets in here I think it's, it's worth sharing because um, I could feel shame at my doorstep, like the enemy waiting to devour me and my wife and I remember driving back from the, the the hospital stunned completely stunned and I looked to her we're sitting at this red light it was like two o'clock in the morning I was sitting at this red light and I turned to her and I tell her I'm going to tell you something and I need to hear you say it back to me and I just looked at her tears in my eyes I said I I forgive you and I hold you without any responsibility. I do not blame you and I love you. And she said it back to me. And that was the beginning part of a lot of us wrestling through our own shame because we blamed ourselves all the time. That night we didn't sleep at all thinking, what if we had done this? Could we have done that? It was because of this, clearly that's why. And, and I will be lying to you if we didn't beat ourselves up for a long time, even to this day. We feel the twinges of like that shame just kind of creeping up saying like, you couldn't keep your kid alive. What's the matter with you? What kind of parent are you? 
And again, I, I, you know, this is just my story of just how shame shows up. Everyone has those moments in some way where they are questioned, accused. Um, and so have to, in that period of time, really wrestle through and go back and redo all the work around what makes me worthy. And, and honestly, I will tell you that entire period of time, we hid, we hid under the grace of, of Jesus as though we clung, as though we had no choice because we didn't, because again, we, if we didn't, we would be, have been torn to pieces. We would torn each other to pieces with blame. And I, and I will say this, I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of couples after loss end in divorce. The divorce rate goes much higher after child loss because people don't know how to deal with the pain. And that shame is just creeping up there, whether it's people blaming themselves or one another, it's all mixed up in there, right? And so that was definitely part of the work. And I, and I, and I think back on it now and I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that I had gone through that first dark season of my life to understand how that voice works and how the enemy is there. Um, because I felt like I, I was prepared to cover my, my, my home. I was prepared to cover my wife. Um, and that made all the difference at that time. No, there's all the, there's a bunch of other work that had to be done, but that's probably where I'll camp out right now. I'm, I'm really, first of all, I'm just, I'm just really touched by your story, Lee, and feeling a lot of um, emotion and, and sadness with you, as I'm sure uh, anybody that, that listens to your story will feel. Um, it strikes me how you are personifying shame, almost like it's uh, it's speaking to you with a real voice. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I'm one. I mean, we we don't we haven't talked a lot about. It kind of classically called spiritual warfare, but I, I just hear you di- differentiating or like you're, you're creating a little bit of space between that voice that I think often we, we don't make that space. So it sounds like it's, it's either us or it sounds like, I mean, maybe it sounds like God to people, but I hear you kind of putting that voice on the, on the edge and saying, this is the voice of shame. I recognize that voice and I'm going to do something to stand against it in this moment. And that story with your wife in the car, I see as you saying, I'm going to take a stand right now. This is all I can do. I need this. And I'm, I'm with you in this, but um, yeah. Tell tell me, am I right on? And and yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel like both. I mean, the, the, I mean, I, I find that warfare happens on multiple fronts. Definitely, I felt like there was spiritual warfare. I felt a darkness um, during that season of life. And, and, and I suppose it's one that I was familiar with before. And so I, I knew the, the sensation of it and the, 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 the feeling and the voices of that. So definitely, I believe um, the enemy was at play. I mean, he is the accuser. And constantly, the voices of failure and, and failures of, failure of magnitudes um, but I also knew a lot of that was my own voice too. Very familiar, old, old uh, roommate, if you will, in my head of just speaking and 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 uh, accusing myself. And so both of those I felt like were such powerful elements that I had to personify them, be very aware of them, um, and to to be aware of them enough to know when they would project out onto other people. Like when, when you would, you would hear someone say something innocuous, like completely benign, but it would be reflected back to like, what did they mean by that? Right. And I think that gets into a different layer of how, how pain and shame uh, can drive people into isolation because there's the fear that in what people's words are, that it will reflect back to you the thing that you fear the most. Um, And I definitely felt that I, I felt like, I don't know if I want to share with anybody, like what's gone on here because of how. I might be pained by what they say. Um, and if, if you're not aware of that, it, it'll, it'll drive you into isolation. That just, and that gets you into a snowball problem. That, 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 once you're isolated, then the enemy has a field day. So Lee, it, it, it is not lost on me because I have, you know, walked through seasons of struggle in life as the counselor. And I'm, I'm just curious about, you know, you're going through this season of grief and you're also continuing to counsel people, you know, um, still having to work, you know, all you want to do is hide. All you want to do is, uh, is 
you know, go through that grief that you need to go through, but then you've also got to be someone who's helping others walk through their own pain. What, what was that like? Um, It was interesting. That's an interesting question. Um, uh, You know, as a therapist, you know, that this is true for anyone's what their work. I mean, you could pour yourself in the work because it is a distraction from your own life. And I think therapists are, are, are just as, if not more so in danger of that, because it is fully possible to check out of your own world and into someone else's and feel as though you're doing healthy things because you're helping someone else, all while neglecting your own work, right? Um, and so it's, it's actually not quite as impossible or difficult as you might think, because, okay, I, I, for this 50-minute for this session, I can check out of all the crap that's going on in my life and just listen to someone else and make it about their problems, right? Um, but I also say that, that you're not going to be able to do much work before it hits your own work in, in the therapy room. Like some point you're going to start talking to your client about their own shame, their own grief, their own loss. And when you start talking truth to someone else, it starts to hit in a different way. And so that was my season for about a good like six months of just, I, I was just messy. I, I, there's no other way to put it. And I'll, and I'll say this, I had done enough work with my clients where they, they kind of gave me a lot of grace in that way too. They're just, hey, this is just gonna be messy. We're gonna bump into things and you may see me tear up. You may see me uh, just kind of pause for a second, space out. You know, you're, you're talking to someone who's dealing with their own trauma right now. And, and, and so that was part, part of the whole deal. And, that, and, and, and I'll say people on staff at my church were super gracious. They gave me an extraordinary amount of time and patience to just work through my stuff too. So you're just, I remember my wife said it best. <clears throat> it's like, we're running a marathon. We were, we were forced to check into and run this marathon race that we didn't want to run, but we're running it. And we're running it ugly. Like we were like crawling on the floor, bloodied and just like gasping, but we were, we have to do it. And so everyone around us just has to be okay with that. So that's what I remember of that period of time. Yeah. And I, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of different directions that counselors can go and they find themselves in situations like that. And, and pastors are not different in the sense that when they walk through a season, a journey, you know, they could, they can choose the path of transparency, which then could cause them to seem weak you know, the fear that it could cause them to seem weak to the people they're trying to lead. Um, they could put on a, a face and act like everything's fine, which then everybody's like, how did they deal with that? And is this the standard for dealing with a loss like that? And I think, you know, that counselors can choose the way of transparency, which is a little bit of a risk in your vulnerability with your clients. But in the end, you know, it sounds like the way that you walked through that create probably created a better connection, a better opportunity for them to see, you know, Hey, I mean, I'm the guy that is helping you, but I also am transparent about the fact that I have this huge pain in my life and it's going to bubble up and I'm not going to try and fight it back. I mean, I think that is a very healthy way to, to deal with it. Um, you know, but I, I was curious about what that would look, what that looked like for you. And so, you know, I hear people say the loss of a child is, um, is one of the most painful things that you can experience. And I would assume that that loss is still very close. It doesn't probably feel, you know, real far away. Yes. Yes. And no. Um, and I, I remember talking with some other people who lost children themselves and thinking, how in the world do you get there? Like, I have no idea. Like, how do you go from this pain to where you are? And I would say that that's true for me now in that the loss is there, but it feels like it's integrated in a way where I can also experience peace and joy. And I will say this, this is, this has been said to me before. And I remember when I heard it, I was like BS, but I find it to be true in that the, the pain is deeper, but the joy is, is higher. Like the, the, 
the extremes. Like it's as though the Lord stretches your heart and your capacity to experience further ends than you knew you could before. Like I've never experienced pain like that before, but I've never experienced a, a sense of clarity and a sense of a vision and, and, and meaning in my life as well. And so I, I, I'm not going to go as far to say it's a gift because I don't think anyone wants that at all um, to go that way, but it is one of the natural effects that happens if you allow it. And then that's the thing that probably produces such sadness in me when I, when I talk with other people as they walk through their seasons of grief is that it is equity left on the table. If, if they don't go through that process in a, in a courageous and healthy way, they miss out on so much of that clarity, um, that growth. Um, and I will say today, I'm, I'm, I'm coming up on six years removed. Um, that's all like, um, that's all I, 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 I really hold on to now is that it's, it has given me a, a different clarity and, and direction and passion and vision in my life that I wouldn't have had before, honestly. Um, so it's still there very much. It's, it's so close. It's part of me. It will never not be a part of me. Um, but it's not all pain either. So I want to just highlight something here because you just, I love that statement. Um, undealt with grief is equity left on the table. And I love that statement because I think so many people, they, they want to just move on. They want to know when can the pain be done? Yeah. Instead of recognizing that it's actually connecting to the pain that helps you get to a place where your heart expands, where you experience the, the depth that you're talking about. And I'm, you know, so I'm like, Lee, you are the, the story that you've told just gives you so much opportunity to share with our listeners what do you, what would you tell people who are sitting on undealt with grief and they're, they're like, okay, I, this is hitting me. What do I do now? Yeah. I realize as I say that, that, um, if you've ever done any type of like either discipleship work, counseling work, but it's sitting across from someone as you're walking alongside them in their own journey is you're asking them to do what is most difficult for them at that moment in time. And as a therapist, I, you know, that's, part, that's pretty much the job is I'm asking them, hey, let's talk about what hurts. Let's talk about the pain. Because in my mind as a therapist, I'm thinking that is what's going to get you the equity. You will grow if we move there. It's as though I'm asking someone who's terrified of swimming, hey, come, come a little bit further to the deep end. I know it terrifies you. I know you feel like you'll drown but I'm here and I'm with you and you're not alone. And I, and, and I guarantee you, you'll get stronger and you'll see things at the bottom of that, 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 that pool, that ocean floor that you hadn't seen before. And it will change your life for the better, but convince someone of that when they're terrified and when they're feeling such grief and pain. And I'll be honest with you. If I, if it, if I had gone through that period of time in my life and I hadn't experienced pain before, and I wasn't a mental health professional, I probably say as well, like, why, like, wh why would I want to do that? That you'd have to convince me in some way it's worth sitting in the pain. Right. But if listener, if you're, you're hearing this, there's people that have gone before you in their own pain, grief journey, um, people that God surrounds you with um, that can attest and be there with you to go through the pain and, if, if you, if you've ever done that with anyone else, you would know that it is worth it, that that's work that is part of the journey of life. And it may be the most difficult thing you've ever had to do, but it is the opportunities in some fashion, in some way for you to deepen your life, deepen your relationships, deepen your, your understanding of who you are and your relationship with God. All that equity is there on the table, right? If you move into the pain. You know, one of the things that I, uh, that I have, talked quite a bit about and um and this is just sort of a core belief that i have it's a theory that i'm testing out in life and that is that it's through the process of knowing and being known 
that our wounds are healed. The, the process of developing deeper intimacy, um, whether that be with our spouse or friends or whatever, that it's in those spaces that we find our real healing and by developing deeper intimacy with God as well. But we can't be known if we don't know ourselves, you know, and so the journey inward into the pain and the, the suffering and the loss and, you know, naming what feelings we're having and, and experiencing those feelings in real time, all of that is a journey into knowing ourselves so that we can be more known. Yeah. And I have tried this experiment so many times uh, with, with clients and even in my own personal walk, but every time I invite somebody into it, I'm scared mm. too. You know, it's, it's as if the enemy says it's not going to work this time, you know? And so I just, I, I mean, even as a counselor, I wanted to confess that so that people know, you know, we're inviting you to a process that we've seen work, but we're also, we share in that concern too. And we're still stepping forward because at some level, you just have to believe it's going to work. Yeah. Yes. And that ties back into what I was saying before about how my, my come to Jesus moment wasn't a clarity for, because, because if God shows up and says, come, it, I, I liken it to Peter stepping out of the boat. Like, there's a, there's a sense of, okay, I will go, I'll step out because Jesus beckons. But even then there is this like moment of terror of like, well, what if he doesn't show up? Mm -hmm. And I, and I, and I believe for a lot of us in our, our, in our journey of pain, um, it's, it's difficult because it requires a decision to say, I don't know. I don't know what, what lies in store for me on the other side of this but I'll still make the decision to do it anyways, right? That takes an act of faith. That takes an act of courage. That is what, what I, I, I draw most from the story of Peter walking out of the boat is that mm -hmm. it's a step of faith and he sinks and you have to completely put your faith in Jesus to show up. Absolutely. And that is the point of you're not alone, you know, because what isolation does is it pulls us away from, from getting what we need. Right. But when we can just be convinced that we're not alone, as scary as it is, mm -hmm. yeah. I think that that's where we can find that courage. You know, Lee, this, this has been so deep and so rich. And I just, I am, I am so thankful to know you the way that I do now, you know, to have been a part of, of you sharing your story. And I am, I appreciate you being willing to share it on here and all of the rich depth that has come from, from your walk as well. And um, there's no doubt, you know, if I, if I'm find myself in a season, I'm going to fly to DC and sit down with you and, and let you walk with me through it. Anytime, so, anytime, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Lee, thank you so much. And I, I just appreciate that invitation. I hope that people heard it today or wherever you're at when you listen to this, that you heard that invitation. We touched on this throughout, but I just feel like, you know, this, especially for those that are in some kind of role where you're a leader or you're a helper uh, in your profession and you're pouring out to others, we really want to offer that invitation to you to say, being able to be vulnerable, being able to take steps toward connection in those places where you're, where you feel the voice of shame kind of crouching. Um, that is so, so important. And so I just, again, thank you for extending that offer to people and, and connecting it to your own life, Lee. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more than happy. I feel like the, um, the equity, if I could put it that way, um, it's hard to put it that way when you think of pain, that it costs to, to gain it is would feel so wasted if I kept it to myself. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so willing to share it because it feels like it came at such a great cost that in order to be able to, um, to make it worthwhile, you, you must share it. You have to. Um, and so I, that's just another encouragement for anyone else who's listening to be courageous, to reach out and to share your story um, because there's someone else that will probably benefit 
and you will feel the connection from that as well. And so I think that's just another another plug to uh, to make inroads and to reach out and to connect with other people. So I, I, I'm thankful for the opportunity, guys. Um, I'm thankful because even in your questions, as you guys asked me, I haven't thought of some of these things in a long time and it just helps to put things together. And so I am blessed by that. I am encouraged by it as well because it, it forces me to look at things and evaluate things fresh and anew. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks Lee. And, um, and so we will have, uh, ways for people to access your materials on the show notes. And so we'll have links to the websites for your ministry and, um, and your podcast and, and other resources that you're suggesting people use. And so, you know, and, and I hope that, I hope that people will share this episode because I think so many will be blessed by it. And if you found yourself blessed by today's episode, we ask you to like, um, you know, this, this podcast and to, to hit that download button and share it on Facebook or Instagram or wherever your preferred social media is. And, um, and just, show i want you to you know just recognize that the more people that have access to this kind of stuff the more people can be helped by the stories that are told on creative for connections so um so we thank you for tuning in today and listening and we want you to remember above all things that you are not alone thanks for joining us for this conversation Please use the email address linked in our show notes to share your feedback with us. You'll also find some other helpful resources for you there. Let us know what topics you're interested in us exploring. And if you've got a story that you'd like to share, please connect with us. Special thanks to Cheyenne Metters for providing our music. And thanks to Wellspring Process Groups for sponsoring this episode. As always, please follow us on whatever podcast service you're using. And please drop a review to let people know if this has been helpful for you. We'll see you next time.